0: How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. I told a story in the last episode about being in counseling for the first time when I was in college. I was about 18 years old, and my counselor at the time walked through some pretty great exercises and considerations and taught me things that I had never heard before. I did not know them at all, and it completely threw me off. And I'll never forget sitting in front of this gentleman and him asking me, about my process of self-talk and about my inner monologue that was going on and I was really smart and I was doing well in school but I was not overly emotionally intelligent at that point I think most people look at uh, those of us who are counselors and who communicate for a living and connect with others for a living and think oh you just have that naturally maybe some people do it was not the case for me And I sat in front of him and I was so confused because I knew I had an understanding of kind of what he was talking about, but I didn't even know how to start talking about the process and the talk that was going on inside of me. I didn't know it was a thing that people talked about. And I can remember him asking me, when you think about what you're saying to yourself inside, what percentage is positive versus negative? And I... I said, how do people even know that? How, how do you know? I don't know. And he said, well, that's your homework then. And he sent me out of his office that week and he had me for a week consider every day, he, he hoped for twice or three times a day, but at least at the end of the day, he asked me to write down and guess or estimate about what percentage of my thoughts to myself about myself that day were positive versus negative. And by the time I got back into his office, the next week, he said, what's your percentages? And I had really considered this, it was blowing my mind that you could, you know, kind of catch all of this and and get an estimate. And I estimated at that time, it was very hard to admit, it's even a little hard to admit today. But at that time, I had to be honest and say that about 98% of the things that I was saying to myself were negative. And he was kind of surprised, and he said, "I knew it was going to be high just because of some of what I've heard you say out loud. I wasn't expecting it to be that high. That's got to be really, really hard on you." Well, I was stuck in. If you listen to the last episode about good self, really stuck in the good self, and I was like, "No, it just pushes me to be better." Right? He said, "So there's no problem with you. Don't see any problem with that. That that the negativity inside is that frequent." And I was, I said, "Well, I mean." you know i was i was committed guys to to my process and i said you know i the outcomes i, I mean i'm doing well in school i'm doing well in what i'm what's going on and i was kind of just trying to hold on to that last little thread of feeling like i was staying in control and then he threw me a curveball and he said well if, If that's your mode of functioning and you don't see any problem with that, I would think it's really hard for you to have friends because you're probably that hard on everybody then, if it's just fine. And I was appalled, of course, righteously indignant, because I would never treat anyone like that and never say some of the things to others that I would say to myself. And he just kind of turned his head to the side like very interesting. And he realized he knew what I was going to do. And I started to catch on and realize that I was just smoking mirrors. I was just throwing things around. I was miserable. And um, I was an 18 year old kid and I had no idea. I was so scared because I didn't know how to fix it. And I thought, I think I'm just broken, right? I'm so thankful for, for that man and for the work that he helped me just introduce me to it was so overwhelming at the time and that work continued through my life well into my 20s and and working on all of that actively but I, I tell this story because I, I want to set the tone that when we start talking about this inner monologue or dialogue whatever it is that you have going on inside, but this is not a static standard process, and it's not something that is either working or broken. It's not something that you're either good at or bad at. It is something that we have to be aware of and learn to deal with. Self-talk is that internal communication system we have with ourself that really gauges to us and gives us the feedback of what's going on. It can be soft and gentle, where it helps guide us and we remind ourselves of what's true and what's right, what is honest and, and um, gracious even at times. It can also be an inner critic and an inner judge. It interprets what's happening around us. In psychology and counseling, when we're studying this, a lot of times we call it meaning-making. That things happen around us, but then inside we create meaning from that. So something may happen around us and then we interpret it and determine what it means. And that is what sinks into us. It's our self-talk process that creates that meaning and that really connects to our overall experience. Our self-talk has strong ties to experiences with depression and anxiety. When things are being fed to us, if someone is standing in front of us and telling us horrible things about ourselves, you think about that. If you had an adult standing over a child and just telling them awful things about themselves, you would expect for that child's demeanor to just fall, right? And continue to decrease as long as that's happening. But many of us have an internal process where that's the case. And it really, really drags us down and is difficult on our internal experience. And we don't realize it's something that's being perpetuated inside. The reason is because it's hidden, Our self-talk process is not something that we're always even aware of. Sometimes we talk about self-talk and it's like a light bulb for people that it's even going on. You know it's going on, but it's not something that you're thinking about engaging and considering as it's happening or even in the aftermath of it happening. And then when we do realize it and recognize it, we're not really sure what to do with it all the time. We may struggle to understand how to capture it, how to conceptualize it, and definitely struggle in the idea that we can change it because it feels like it's automatic and it's just going on in the background without any type of intentionality about it. That's not true, thankfully. But when something has been hidden or... Um, automatic for so long, it can be really difficult to unwind those processes and step back from them and create change in them. And quite frankly, when it's about internal senses of self, about thoughts, about emotions, we oftentimes think that those are not concrete things, and really they're not But we imagine that the only things you can really grab hold of and change are concrete, practical things. We have a lot more control over our internal experience than we give ourselves credit for a lot of times. Now, we don't have full control over it, but we really have control over what happens once things come in. To our internal space we can never control the things that are going on around us and on the outside but we can structure our inside selves to process things in a way that is meaningful and valuable to us and that goes in the way that we believe it should go rather than just running amok and wreaking more havoc sometimes on our internal experience <clears throat> so when i talk about self-talk and i'm talking about these processes a good example In meaning making and how this works is, I actually have a great example because I was talking to my daughter about it today. She um, has is in at the end of fifth grade. She's getting ready to go into junior high, and she's really processing this concept of wanting to be cool and wanting to be um, valuable to others, and and really struggling when people send her messages or give her indications that she is not cool or not okay. And as we discussed this, um, I was giving her the example, too, of what's happening inside of her as those come in. So she gave me an example of a, a girl at school who'd made fun of her about something. And then we tracked, and I asked her, when that girl made fun of you, what, did, what was the first thing that you either thought or felt? And, and she told me, she said, my first thought was, oof. <laughs> um, that's not an 11-year-old first thought. I don't know what is. And she said, then I felt really sad. And then I thought, I'm not good enough. I'm not okay. And so we, we tracked this process and I helped her understand your self-talk process has little to do with what everyone else is doing. Those kids are going, you know, are running around in life. And the only way right now that they know how to make themselves feel better is to make other people feel worse here's how you actually make yourself feel better when you're not feeling good. You can track it this way. You just said that what happened. You felt a certain way, and then a thought came that you interpreted that situation. They said something negative about you, and the meaning that you attached to it or the process that went on on the inside was to tell yourself that you're not okay and that you're not good enough. And when we talk, we talk to ourselves all the time. And she understood that fully because she talks all the time to everyone. So she knows she talks to herself too, all the time. But as we walk through life as adults or as kids, we're constantly interpreting the world around us. We're not just experiencing things. We're creating meaning, we're drawing conclusions, and we're making decisions inside. And that self-talk process is how we do that. And those processes, just like I've done several communication series where I've taught skills about how to talk to other people and how to restructure how the communication is happening between yourself and another person to help readjust that, whether it's with your significant others and adults or your children, it all works the same. There are processes to restructure and redesign the communication processes inside that change our outcomes and our experiences with those as well we can do that and it is a skill, but it does take work. And I'll tell you, it's some of the hardest work because like I said earlier, it's hidden. Other people don't hear your self-talk. The only way that you're accountable for your self-talk is if you disclose it to other people. And when we have a lot of really negative self-talk, we already are feeling Like we're not good enough and we lean into that good self space of I need to be seen as good enough. I don't feel valuable and loved as I am. So then admitting what we're saying to ourselves is even more difficult. It gets us all wrapped up and it feels like we're trapped in the middle of it. It stays inside of us and we're the only ones who really can gauge what our experience is like with it. And you can hide it for your entire life if you want to. You can go through your whole life and not address this, and no one would know. But it is one of the biggest keys to alleviating some of those internal difficulties and struggles that um, really create a lot of the negative realities that we even experience in the external world, too. So, I want to introduce a concept if you've not heard the terms before, but um, most people have heard the term meta before. When you put it in front of something, meta process or meta think, meta communicate. I love talking about meta things because meta is about processing or pulling apart the thing that you're doing. So when I say we're meta thinking, we're not just thinking about things, but we're taking a step back and we're thinking about what we're thinking. When we meta communicate with other people, we stop and we say, wait, 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 can we pause here? Right now, I'm trying to talk to you about content, but I feel like you are think that i'm upset and i don't think i'm communicating that well. i'm not upset and i really just want to get this fixed so instead of just trying to continue to fix it i have stepped back and i'm now communicating about communication so that it goes better meta communication is one of the most powerful tools between people in relationships because you can etch out how you want things to happen meta thinking and meta processing when we take a step back and we start to work in our own minds In a different way, where we understand what's going on and we start to look at patterns and processes in our own minds, it gives us the ability to work on those so that we can redesign them so that they are more beneficial for us as well. Our internal drives, our internal awareness, our ability to gauge that is vital to our general functioning and really a lot of our our life satisfaction. Unconscious processes are a real thing. Um, A lot of people, you know, you say that you say Sigmund Freud's name and Sigmund Freud had a lot of theories that many people do not connect to in part or whole at all anymore. Some people do. Um, But Sigmund Freud was the pivotal point in history that really created psychology and thereby counseling and other fields that have come from that. As a profession, because he was the first person to really put out there and give people an understanding of unconscious drives and processes that push us and make us do things. I say make us do things, but that influence what we're doing without us being aware of them. So then, thereby, it makes us feel like they're making us do things and we don't know why we're doing them. In couples counseling and couple sessions, very frequently I'll have people who are getting triggered by one another and they're very upset and frustrated and can't figure it out. We, we'll dive in and we might find that like, I remember one couple that I worked with early on and it was um, premarital counseling and he was so confused because there'd be times where he just thought they were talking and she would just lose her mind and he would try to calm it down and it never worked. And long story short, we got down to a point to where we realized that she had grown up with a father who was abusive. And there was a phrase that he used to say to her very frequently when he would he would um, abuse her he was verbally and psychologically abusive. And when he would, there were things that he would say to her that then made her feel bad about feeling hurt by what he said. Her sweet fiance was saying the same thing when stuff would happen and it was triggering something in her and she was just reacting to it without even realizing. And when she realized that that was what was going on, this process inside that she wasn't even tracking, it's like it broke it off of them. And that was no longer controlling those engagements. So those internal processes are very real, and they push and drive us in ways that we don't know. Um, And the thing is, is we aren't aware of those and we don't know about them until we do. And the process to understand those is this meta process and meta thinking where we begin to train ourselves to understand what's going on inside of us, to take more stock of what's happening. This ties back to the first um, the first piece that I described in the previous episode. Um, about Dan Siegel saying that we've got to really be able to have good insight into ourselves to connect well with others and do well as an adult in life. We have to know what's happening inside of us and be able to explain and describe it. That takes practice and it takes work. So how do we do it? Practical steps and how we handle this is... um, absolutely available it feels overwhelming and confusing if you've never considered this or this isn't a path that you've walked down before if you have it might be exciting or it might feel exhausting depends on your orientation to it but it's really you can do this on your own but if you've never done it before and this is new to you it might be something that's really hard to do on your own you might want to talk this out with somebody and work with somebody else on it you can do that with um friends, spouse, you know, mentor. Um, But this is a really great piece to work on in counseling too if this is a big struggle and you see that this is an area of your life that is pushing, you know, up against your experience and you're having a lot of difficulty with it. The first step is to become aware of what your thoughts are and how you are experiencing them. That seems very straightforward and very simple and it is really not. Unless you're practiced at it, if you're starting new, of just being able to really step back and say, what's going on with me right now? How am I feeling? How am I experiencing all this? What is um, what is enhancing my experience right now? What's taking away from it? Just being able to put words to it. Good practice for that is several times a day, just stopping and checking in with yourself. Um. A really good model for that too is calculating that percentage, like the story that I told at the beginning, of what percentage of the things that you're saying to yourself and what percentage of the things that are going on in your mind are self-deprecating or bringing you down versus lifting yourself up and encouraging yourself and maybe even congratulating yourself. See if you can capture thoughts and know the messages that you're sending to yourself Um, and see how well that is. If it's something that feels really difficult for you or if it's something that feels a little more natural and something that you practice, get a gauge on that before the next episode comes out because we're going to talk about what to do when you've got um, thought patterns that are challenging your experience and how to change those. But before you can change anything, you really have to know what is there and what's going on so that you can adequately and accurately address it. So tune in next week and next time so that we can talk about the steps to change those thoughts. And in the meantime, get some good practice in. You can do it in your mind. You can do it uh, out loud. I suggest writing it in a journal because it makes you finish out those thoughts and really do it. Whatever way you do it, see if you can't gauge what this percentage is for yourself and how that's working for you. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit TheRemodelProject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.